Philippians chapter 2 in the Word of God. And uh, we're going to continue our study in Philippians on Sunday mornings. I'm excited to preach this message. Uh, the Sunday school lesson this morning, Brother Andrew brought, has, uh, man, got me. I was already cranked up, but it cranked me up another notch just a little bit. And uh, I told him after it was over, I said, I want you to know, I, I put this message together before I heard your lesson. I promise you that, okay? And uh, but not that it matters. Preach out of the teaching, preaching out of the same book. It's all, it's all his and uh, all belongs to him. I'm just glad we got truth. I'll tell you something. If you got a King James Bible in your hand or in your lap right now, say amen. amen. You got truth without any error. Fact without fiction. Amen. And I thank God. We ought to thank God for that revealed truth. Not that there is truth, but that God has given it to us. He preserved it perfectly in His precious Word. We're thankful for that. Philippians chapter 2. And I want to go back and start in verse number 5. These verses are a unit. And I want to read them together, even though obviously our focus will be verses 9, 10, and 11 this morning. And uh, as we, last Sunday, we spent two services looking at verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. And this morning, I'd like to uh, try to try to get it all taken care of, verses 9, 10, and 11, and uh, finish out this glorious passage, heavenly passage, wonderful passage, holy ground that we're on here. Verse 5, the Apostle Paul tells the church at Philippi, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I want to just put a simple title on the message this morning because we're not trying to make this cute or clever or anything. We just want to, this is good stuff. We just want to, we just want to try to get as much as we can out of these verses right here. So just a simple title. I want to preach this morning on the exaltation of Christ. The exaltation of Christ, which is what these verses, specifically verses 9, 10, and 11, describe for us. And so let's examine this truth together this morning. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you. We're so thankful for the privilege that we have just to know who you are. Lord, I'm glad that I know who Jesus is. I'm glad that I know that he came. I'm glad that I know that he died. I'm glad that I know that he ascended and he's seated at, at your right hand, even right now, making intercession for this very prayer that I'm praying. And Father, I thank you for that. Lord, we, we ask you, God, humbly that you would help us, that you would touch us. Lord, I know that the verses that I'm reading, Lord, I, I'm more aware of it. It's always this way, but I'm, I'm even more aware of it this morning that, Lord, this is, this is so deep, so vast, Lord, that there's no way my little mind can 
can, can grasp it all. But Lord, I pray that you'd help me. Lord, with my limited intellect, my limited vocabulary, Lord, would you please help me to exhort the people of God and encourage them this morning with these verses. Lord, I pray that you'd do a work in our hearts. Lord, let it not just be a doctrinal statement, theology uh, that we know in our head, but Lord, I pray that it would be worship in our hearts today as we study these truths. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, we left off our study last Sunday. Sunday morning and Sunday night as we examine uh, through verse number 8. And I want you to notice where we left off in verse number 8. The very last word of verse number 8. I want you to go back and I want you to look at it. And I want us to all say it at the same time. The very last word of verse number 8. Ready? One, two, three. Cross. That's where we left off. When we left off last week, we left off on the cross. And I want to say I'm thankful that Jesus went to Calvary. Don't ever get over the hill. Amen. Don't ever get over Calvary. Don't ever get over what Jesus did for you. But I'm so thankful and I'm glad to be able to tell you this morning that that is not the end of the story. I'm glad there's more to the story beyond the cross. Amen. I'm glad he didn't just die and that was it. When he said it is finished, he didn't say I am finished. Amen. He didn't say it. He didn't say say it's all over with. No, no, no. Just the the redemptive work, the sacrificial work that he came to do, that is what was accomplished. But his work is not even close to being done. Listen, hey, three days later he got up Forty days later, he ascended into heaven. And I don't know how many days later, he's coming back again. But listen, you don't even know. We don't even, we can't even grasp all that is ahead of us. Listen, there is a whole lot more to the story. I'm glad it did not end with our Savior dying on that cross. I'm glad it did not end with Joseph taking his body and putting it in a tomb. I'm glad it did not end with with all those things. I'm glad he got up. I'm glad he's seated at the right hand of God. And that is is what these verses are talking about. The cross was not the end of the story. Amen. Been in some, I've been to Mexico and been in some Catholic churches. I've been in I've been over into Rome, Italy, and I've been in the Vatican, the, 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 the premier, the, 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 uh, the main uh, headquarters of Catholicism. And every time you see Jesus in those Catholic churches, He's always on a cross. He's always there. He's always hanging on a cross. He's always hanging on a cross. I, mean, I want everybody to look at our cross up here. He ain't hanging on that cross anymore. I'm going to tell you where He's at. He's at the throne. He's on the throne. He's at the right hand of the Father. Amen. Uh, uh, I heard a story about a Catholic man that went to a Baptist church with a friend. He was invited, went on Easter Sunday, and he got looking at all the crosses around the building. There's one on the pulpit, and there was one in the baptistry, and he said, why isn't Jesus on the cross? Why isn't he on the cross? And the man that brought the Catholic friend with him, he said, because Jesus isn't on the cross. Amen. That's why he's not hanging on the cross, because he's not hanging on the cross. Amen. I'm glad that he is large and he is in charge. Amen. He is on the throne. Christ was exalted. Our text tells us he was exalted by the Father, and he forever will be King of kings and Lord of lords throughout all of eternity. He never can get voted out because he never was voted in. Amen. He can't get impeached. He cannot be usurped. He cannot be overturned. He cannot be overthrown. I'm glad the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is an eternal kingdom that will last forever and ever. Thank God. In these verses that we have, there is a 
poetic symmetry that is recognized here. I'm sure maybe you can see it. These verses are, are very easy to memorize. I'm not sure. Maybe many of you have these verses memorized. I memorized it years ago. I remember in high school or maybe middle school, and when you're in a little Christian school, it all runs together. You don't know where you're at. But anyway, uh, I'm not sure when it was, but in our Bible class, we memorized these verses. And I remember sitting there and, and memorizing these verses. It didn't take me long at all. And for some reason, I memorized other verses, but they didn't stick as good. These verses have already stuck. I could quote these verses backwards and frontwards. There is a, a, a kind of a, 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 a just a, a rhythm to it. There is a poetic symmetry that we find in these verses. In fact, what's amazing is that there's some historical evidence. Many of the men that I study behind, they've all cited that there is a, some historical evidence that suggests that these verses, after Paul wrote them to the church at Philippi, they became a hymn that was sung in the church. And I don't have any problem believing that at all. Number one, the content is excellent. Number two, there is a, there is a poetry that is here, these verses, and it might have been sung as a hymn in the, in the early church. I don't know that for sure, but some have suggested that. The first, because you can take these, this text, verses 6 through 11 specifically, and you could literally divide them in half. Verses 6, 7, 8, verses 9, 10, and 11. There are two halves that we find here in this text. The first section, verses 6 through 8, speak of the humiliation of Christ. We're going down, down, down. Christ started here. Jesus, He did not begin in Bethlehem. How many of y'all know that? Say amen. The Word always has been, and He always will be. Co-eternal, co-existent, and co-equal with the Father before the foundations of the world. And so here we have the second person of the Trinity. Here we have God the Son. We know Him as the Lord Jesus. Christ. Here we have Him condescending. Verses 6, 7, and 8 tell us how He went down, down, down. But then the cross seems to be the bottom. It seems to be the lowest point because when we get to verse number 9, we're not going down, down, down. Now we're going up, up, up. And so verses 6, 7, 8 is down, down, down. Verses 9, 10, and 11 is up, up, up. And there is a type of symmetry that is here. In fact, you can even find it, if you'll count all the things, there are seven steps down and there are seven steps up. Amen. Number one, he made himself of no reputation. Number two, he took upon him the form of a servant. Number three, he was made in the likeness of man. Number four, he was found in fashion as a man. Number five, he humbled himself. Number six, he became obedient unto death. Number seven, even the death of the cross. Boom, 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 boom. But then the turning point is made, and now we have seven steps upward. God hath highly exalted him. God hath given him a name above every name. Every knee will bow at his name every knee in heaven, every knee in earth, every knee under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Seven steps down, seven steps up. Isn't that amazing here? The first section, verses 6 through 8, speak of His humiliation. Verses 9 through 11 speak of His exaltation. Verses 6 through 8 speak of His cross. Verses 9 through 11 speak of His crown. Verses 6 through 8 speak of how He came down and verses 9 through 11 speak to us about how he went up. 
Uh, the first section speaks to us about everything that he gave up. And the next section speaks to us about everything that he gained because he is Christ and he is Lord and he deserves all glory, honor, and power. And so we're going to examine the doctrine of the exaltation of Christ this morning. And I want you to notice three truths. Two are doctrinal. One is more practical because I do want to get back to the practical. That is the context here in our text. How many still with me say amen? All right, stick with me. Don't leave me, Lucille. All right, stay with me now. So what does Paul teach us about the exaltation of Christ? Number one, the exaltation of Christ, it is an undeniable fact. Number one, first of all, it is an undeniable fact. Verse 9 tells us about something. I want you to notice the tense that is in verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him. It is past tense. It is something that has already taken place. It is something. I know one day uh, we'll lay crowns at His feet. One day He'll rule and reign here on this earth for a thousand years in the millennial reign. I know all that, but can I tell you, Christ already is exalted. You do not have to make him Lord. He already is Lord. Amen. You just need to acknowledge him as Lord. You don't have to make him king. You don't have to make him Lord. He is Lord. God the Father already took care of all those things. It is a past event. It is a fact that cannot be denied that Christ has been exalted by the Father. That little phrase, highly exalted, it means to raise to the highest rank, to raise to the highest position, to raise to supreme majesty. Jesus has been raised to supreme majesty. In our Bible class, it wasn't too long ago, and we studied a little bit about the exaltation of Christ, and I took this right out of my Bible notebook here, the exaltation of Christ is the act of God the Father by which He gave the Son the honor that was due Him because of His deity. Here is the fact, the undeniable fact that God exalted the Son to His place of preeminence where He is right now. Now when did this happen? And this is what stirred me up in Sunday school this morning, Brother Andrew. When did this happen? Where can you see this exaltation? Well, Brother Andrew told us in Sunday school this morning is all the way back in eternity past. And that determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, it was already decided before the foundation of the world how this thing was going to work out and how this thing was going to go. God knew, listen, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that didn't take God by surprise. He didn't go back to the drawing board and say, what are we going to do now? I wonder what we're going to do. No, in the mind of God, you say, I don't understand that. Well, join the club. Amen. In the mind of God, before it ever took place. God knew it was going to happen and God had already given His Son as a lamb. He had already given His Son as a sacrifice when Adam and Eve sinned there in the garden and God came to them. Genesis chapter 3, we have the promise of the seed of the woman coming to fulfill the, the redemptive plan and take care of all of our sin. Aren't you thankful that nothing can take God by surprise? 
I think it's Vance Havner that said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? Amen. And he don't ever just get hit with information. He knows what is going to happen before it does. Man, it took mankind by surprise. No doubt about that. But it did not take God by surprise. And in God's plan, not only was Jesus Christ to be humiliated, not only was He to empty Himself, not only was He to go to the cross and go to Calvary, but in the mind of God, He already lifted Him up and exalted him. This was the plan all along to put Jesus on the throne and all glory and all honor and all power, it all goes to Him. In fact, if you think God the Father is mad about us worshiping His Son this morning, you think He's jealous. There's no animosity in the Godhead. There is no jealousy in the Godhead. In fact, Paul tells us in verse number 11 that it's all to the glory of God the Father. Amen. The God the Father exalts Christ the Spirit of God points us to Jesus Christ. I'm just here to tell you, it's all about Jesus. And that's not some new idea. That's not something that started 2,000 years ago. It's always been about Jesus. Genesis 3, you find Jesus. Amen. And you can find Him. He's the serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness. He was the manna that came down from heaven. He was the rock that followed them in the wilderness. It's always been about Jesus. Amen. That was the plan. It's always been the plan. Amen. I'm dispensational. Somebody say amen. But don't get so dispensational. You cut Jesus out of the Old Testament. Amen. He's there. It's always been about Him. Amen. <laughs> He's been exalted since before the foundation of the world. But also there are two events. There are two events that highlight the exaltation of Christ. It is the resurrection of Jesus and it is the ascension of Jesus. Those two events highlight for us and really expose to us the exaltation of Christ. Now, I want you to take, go with me just for a second. Can we use our Bibles? Is that all right? Go to the book of Acts just for a second. And I want you to just go, go over there, all right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Acts, all right? Find it real quick. Acts chapter number 2. And I want you to notice that this doctrine... This theme, it is the, the, it is the, it is the, it was the climax of Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to read several verses, so just, just stay tuned, all right? Look at verse number, uh, uh, look at verse number 22. Here's Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, verse 22. He said, You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by Him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. Him, this Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, and I love this, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Now, I'm going to get sidetracked here, but let me tell you, why did Jesus rise from the dead? Because that was the only thing that was possible. You cannot keep life in a tomb. Amen. It was impossible for him to stay dead. 
All right, verse 25. For David speaketh, right? He wrote the Psalms. Concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. This is Peter quoting David in the Psalms. Psalm 16 is where you'll find this. Because, verse 27, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren... Peter preaching, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. So here's what Peter said. David couldn't have been talking about himself. He's got to be talking about somebody else. Verse 30, therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh that he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Verse 32, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all, we all are witnesses. Verse 33, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended up into the heavens, but he saith unto himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made, hath made this same, that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now that's a lot of Bible, but here's what it's saying. You ready? Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost and he said, David already prophesied in the 16th Psalm and told us that God would not leave his soul in hell that God would raise him up out of the heart of the earth and when God raised Jesus from the dead it was public approval of God the Father on God the Son. He was exalting him him to a place of prominence. Go over to chapter 5, Acts 5. Peter ain't done this is the message of this is the message of the apostles. This is the message of them. Chapter 5. The early church they preached that Jesus was alive. Verse number 29 of chapter 5. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are His witnesses of these things and so also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey Him. God did not leave Jesus in the tomb. He raised Him up and exalted Him. And that doctrine is so important you cannot disbelieve it and still be saved. Romans 10. Amen. You've got to believe that God raised him from the dead. You have to believe that he is Lord and Christ. You've got to believe both. Amen. That he is both Lord and Christ. And then he ascended up into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. And that is God's ultimate proof that he had approved of all the work that Jesus had done and was eternally setting him in the place 
to receive all of the honor and worship and exercise all of the judgment. All judgment has been given to the Son. One day you will stand before Jesus. The judge of everybody will be Jesus. He will be the, he will be the one on the throne at the judgment seat of Christ. He will be the one on the throne at the great white throne judgment, judging sinners. All judgment has been given to the Son. He is in that place of preeminence. And there's a whole lot more text. Let me read you if you don't have to turn there, if you don't want to, but Ephesians 1, verses 19 through 23. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. Colossians 1.18 And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Hebrews 1 God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days, spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the world, who being in the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had Him by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as He hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. The like figure whereunto baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto Him. And there's a whole lot more. I just want you to know I ain't making this stuff up. Amen. The Bible clearly states that is a major, this is not a minor this is not a uh, just kind of a, 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 a you know a, a, a passing footnote in the Word of God. This is a major note. This is a major theme of the Bible that the Father has exalted the Son and give and has given Him all the preeminence. What does God the Father want you to do? He wants you to worship Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's why Jesus, before He ascended into heaven, after His resurrection and before His ascension, right before He went up, He looked at those disciples and He said, All power has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. He has it all. It all belongs to Him. And everything that He voluntarily gave up for our salvation, He got it all back and more. <laughs> I know we don't think about that sometimes, but even more. Jesus actually is in a place to receive a greater honor. He is in a different position than He was when He left glory the first time. You may think, I don't know about all that. Isn't He got co-equal and all that? Oh, yes, but as co-equal, God has given Him a name which is above every name that's in our text. Look at it. He is something that He was not before. You say, what is that? He's the head of the church. He's the head of the body. 
He has, a, he has even a different, a greater honor, a greater glory than even he had before. God has exalted him and lifted him up. Why? Because of what he is, has accomplished. And don't let that make you nervous. That was the plan before the foundation of the world. And it all goes to the glory of the Father. Amen. Because he's the one that wrought it. Amen. He's the one that thought it. Praise God. He's the one that put it all Together. He's no longer a baby in a manger. He's not a boy in a temple. He's not a carpenter in a workshop. He's not a preacher on a hillside. He's not an alleged criminal on a cross. He is exalted with all power. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. He is Lord. So number one, it's an undeniable fact. Number two, it's 12 o'clock. Number two, it is an unavoidable future. The exaltation of Christ also speaks to us about an unavoidable future. Notice our text back in Philippians 2, verse number 10. That at the name of Jesus... Here's the prophecy. You ready? Here's the future that is being told. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a bomb about to go off and we're all going to blow up here in just a minute. Amen. Do you see what our text tells us? It tells us that that Jesus has been given a name that is above every name. Can I tell you something about the name of Jesus this morning? What a wonderful name. I almost told Brother David to sing that song this morning, but he done picked it out, all right? And we sang it this morning. Jesus, what a wonderful name. Can I tell you, at the name of Jesus, all of hell trembles. Amen. At the name of Jesus, all... All of heaven rejoices. Amen. Well, there's just something about that name. I think the girls sang that Wednesday night, didn't they? Woo! Thank God for the name of Jesus. I like one of my Bibles. I wrote this down years ago. Some quotes by Spurgeon about the name of Jesus. He said, it's a drop for brevity and an ocean for comprehension. He said, it's an eternal hallelujahs in five letters. It's a matchless oratorio in two syllables. I don't even know what an oratorio is, but man, that sounds good. I know what an oreo is, but I don't know about an oratorio. But it's a matchless oratorio in two syllables. Man, I'm talking about the name of Jesus. Aren't you glad you know who Jesus is? How many remember when you heard that name? Amen. I don't know when the first time I heard that name was. I grew up hearing that name. Amen. I heard it in the nursery. I heard it in the Sunday school class. I heard them singing in church. And I just want to thank God that I've never known a day when I did not know the name Jesus. But I'm thankful for the day that I got to to know the person, Jesus, and it become more than a name. It becomes something that was real to me. And these verses tell us what happens at the name of Jesus. This is the unavoidable future for every creature, no matter where you are located, right? He covers it all. There's only three places that you can be. Did you know that? There's only three places that people can be. They're either in heaven, they're either in earth, or they're under the earth. That's where hell is. 
There's only three places you could be. Every single creature, every single angel, every single demon, every devil, every bit of it, everybody, anything that is in heaven, anything that is in earth, and anything that is under the earth, the Bible tells us that they will all bow at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We just sang about it a minute ago. A minute ago, all the great leaders we sang who sleep in their graves one day will bow and proclaim, He's the Lord of all glory, the crowned King of kings, all creation will thunder His name. Can you imagine the scene when Pharaoh walks in? I'm talking about Pharaoh, the one who said, Who is this Lord that I should obey Him? Who is this God? Moses said, He's the I Am. That's all you need to know. But Pharaoh, he hardened his heart, and his heart was got, got it become even more hardened to, to the, the, the wooing and the words of God, and he rebelled against God. One day, old Pharaoh, he'll march into the throne room, and those old knees will begin to tremble, and he'll fall down, and he'll say, Jesus Christ is is Lord. Hey, one day old Jezebel, she's going to waddle into the throne room one day and she'll fall down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who persecuted the prophets and blasphemed Jehovah God. And she will say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day old Herod, he's going to walk into the throne room. The one who tried to murder all the babies and tried to wipe out this newborn king. And one day his old quivering knees will hit the floor and he will profess and he will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen to me. One day old Hitler that hated the Jews, you know what he's going to do? He's going to bow before a Jew one day. How about that? The one that tried to wipe them out, he's going to bow before a man that was born a Jew and his old knees are going to hit the ground and he will say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every movie star, every pop star, every sports star, every rock star, every political star, they will all bow their knees and they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every rebel, every renegade, every reprobate, they will all bow their knees and they will confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ Christ is Lord. Every single... If you're in here and you're lost and you've never been saved, one day you will walk into the throne room of God and you might want to live your life in sin now and you live your life for yourself and you live in selfishness and you will not confess Him as Lord. You will not submit to His Lordship. That is only a temporary arrangement, my friend, because one day even you, my friend, you will bow the knee and you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm glad to say this, that it won't be hard for me to do it in eternity because I've already done it down here. In fact, I love to do it. I like to do it. I want to do it. Amen. He deserves all of it. Amen. He is Lord. I'm glad to say it. Amen. I'm glad the words can come out of my mouth. He is Lord. Amen. Praise God. And I'm glad about it. Amen. Praise His name. He's Lord. Amen. Thank God. For those of you that you've 
buttoned up your lips and you think you're just going to do your own thing, one day your knees will hit the floor and your tongue will confess that He is Lord. Here's my plea with you this morning. Do it now. Do it now. Don't be made to do it. Do it now because you want to. You love to. Amen. In fact, you know what I'm looking forward to about heaven? I'm looking forward to doing that for all of eternity. Ain't going to have to make me, ain't going to have to twist my arm behind my back. Amen. The Spirit of God done did a work in my heart. That's the only way you can confess Him as Lord anyway, right? By the Spirit's what the Bible says. Mmm. God the Father's got to show it to you. That's how Peter figured it out. Amen. Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Oh, my soul, it is an unavoidable future. Don't wait for the great white throne judgment because let me tell you something, it'll be too late. It'll be too late. You'll confess it, but it will be too late. Do it now. Let me give you one last little thought about this thing of the exaltation of Christ, and I'm done. It is an undeniable fact. It's happened in the past, right? It is an unavoidable future. It has implications for the future. We will all, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. But thirdly, if we leave this text in context, we see that it's an unchangeable formula. There is a principle, there is a Bible principle that is here that Paul is using, uh, he's using the exaltation of Christ to teach us this principle. And it is a principle that works in God's spiritual realm and it cannot be usurped, it cannot be detoured, it cannot be bypassed, it cannot be avoided, it cannot be altered. This is the way it is in God's economy and He has made it this way. And that is this, is that if you want to go up, you got to go down. These verses in context are about what? Unity in the church, unity through humility, lowliness of mind, Read the first couple of verses of chapter 2. Lowliness of mind. Esteeming each other better than themselves. Uh, one accord. Like-mindedness. Being humble. Looking every man on other things. It's not all about number one. I'm not number one. It's about other people. Others. And the supreme example of that, if you want to see somebody that has given up their rights and their reputation and rebellion and reserves and all that, that mindset. We looked at all that last week. He put it all away. Christ is... That example, that was the attitude, that was the spirit, that was the mindset that he had. And we are admonished in verse 5 to let that same mind be in us. But then verse number 9, I want you to notice the first word of verse number 9 because these are all connected. He said, wherefore. This is a conjunction. This is a causative thought here. The lesson is that Christ humbled himself and because he humbled himself, Christ, or because he humbled himself, God the Father exalted him. Now, what I'm not saying is that God the Father will exalt you to the same place as Jesus was because He's in a category all by Himself. You, weren't, you didn't start that high and you never went down that low. But there is a principle that Paul is using Christ to teach us. And that is how God operates in His economy. If you want to go up, you got to go down. In fact, that is a principle that is out throughout all the Word of God. Jesus Himself said, Matthew 23, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. James 4.10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. 1 Peter 5, 
5 and 6. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. God is the one that does the exalting. You see that? Verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. Who gave him a name? God gave him a name. Quit trying to make a name for yourself. Let God give you one. Let God lift you up. Listen, you, you don't want to go where you can take yourself. You better go where God takes you and where God puts you. Amen. And I've said this before. This is not my quote, but I love it and I think about it often. It's our job to stay humble. It's God's job to do the exalting. Right? If we try to do God's job, then He'll do our job. And you don't want God to humble you. That's why the Scriptures constantly admonish us to humble yourself. Humble yourself. You stay humble. Do not get lifted up with pride because God will humble you. And by the way, another principle this gives us is this, is that contrary to what all these Health, wealth, and prosperity preachers preach. Listen, our exaltation that we're seeking is not in this life. That's not, that's not what it is ultimately. Not to say that if, if you humble yourself, God won't give you things and lift you up and put you in places, because He will, no doubt about that. I, I, believe, I believe there's an element of that. But that's not the ultimate. That's not the ultimate. The ultimate exaltation is not some kind of accolade in this life. It's not a figure in your bank account. It's not a title. It's not a position that this world can give you. The greatest exaltation is what God does for you in eternity. Listen, there's going to be so many people, they lived humble, lowly, unknown lives in this world. But in the world that is to come, God will exalt them and God will lift them up. I always heard, and I want Miss Maddie, you can come around the piano. I think that would help me here, but. I always heard Brother Sammy, and I listen, I love Brother Sammy Allen. Y'all know he's my hero, and so I'm not trying to throw off on him. And he's probably right, and I'm probably wrong, but let me just say this. I heard Brother Sammy about how, you know, he talked about some well-known preachers and how God was going to put them over cities in the millennial reign, you know, put Lee Robertson over Chattanooga, and so, you know, whatever, May Jackson over Atlanta or whatever, you know, wherever from. And I always thought in my mind, I said, I don't think it's going to be that way. I think people that got a lot of recognition and spotlight and platform in this life, we might be, you know, we might be, uh, you know, taking the garbage out in the millennial reign. You know, might be the garbage, man. It's going to be some little unknown, humble prayer warrior you never heard of. And in the future, God's going to take her and God's going to lift her up. God's going to lift him up. And that's the way God operates. Don't seek position. Don't seek a title. Don't seek a name. Get down as low as you possibly can and let God do the lifting. That way you'll never be confused as to why you're where you're at. Amen. Amen. I didn't put myself... Hey, I mean, like the turtle on the fence post, right? You ever see a turtle on the fence post? You know one thing. He didn't put himself there. He did not get there by himself. Somebody picked him up and set him right there. And that's how this thing works. God picked you up and God set you. It's better that way. You know why? Because if you try to pick yourself up and you set yourself up, you know what God will do? Wham! I'll knock you down off your high horse. Everybody awake now? Amen. You don't want to be humbled by God. Ask old Nebuchadnezzar about that. Amen. <laughs> and when, when he woke up from all that, he had, he had, he had learned his lesson. He said, those that walk in pride, he's able to abase.
He's able to put you down. God can do the lifting and God can do the humbling. It depends on what you do. And I and just and I'm almost done, but think about think about just for a minute, Lucifer and Jesus. I hate to even compare the two. I hate to do that, but think about it just for a second. You got one, and he said, I will, I will, I will, I will. He tried to exalt himself, didn't he? And the Bible tells us you're cast down. The lowest hell. He was cast down. But then you got another, Jesus, who he said, Not my will, but thine be done. And he didn't try to lift himself up. In fact, he went down. And one day, <laughs> old Satan himself, with trembling knees and a tongue, that forked tongue, it's going to fall down before the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will confess and that he is Lord. And then one day, Satan himself will be cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet already are. He's going to join them down there for all of eternity. It's your choice. You can lift yourself up and live in pride, and God will knock you down, or you can get down and let God do the lifting in your life. That's the principle. That's the context. It's an unchangeable formula. You can't change it. That's the way God's economy operates. Let's stand together all over.